good day and welcome to the Frontline Chatter podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with our special guest co-host today, Rory Monahan. How are you doing today, Rory? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you again. It's always good to have you on with us. You were like our first um, our first guest and you've been on from time to time. So it's good to have you back on to help do a, uh, to, to help do a guest uh, interview uh, with our next guest. Yeah, I'm like a, an old school sitcom cameo, just pop in and out from time to time. Yep, and you're always always welcome on the on the Frontline Chatter podcast too. And also, we like to just give listeners. Um, do you want to give us like a quick intro to your podcast as well that, that you're doing out there? Sure. Yeah. Um, earlier this year, I started a podcast called the Five Bytes Podcast, where I go through just a synopsis of the week's tech news, IT news, EUC news, InfoSec news, all that good stuff. Um, I cover some hot jobs, so job opportunities for IT professionals, and usually throw in a cool script or trick or tip or some sort of community member's achievement too. And that's uh, every week. You could get it at fivebytespodcast.com. It's available on pretty much all good podcasting platforms. Excellent. So to make sure our listeners, you know, check out uh, Rory's podcast. We're always great to have Rory on. Um, and we're glad he's out there doing this podcast as well. And so we, we support him. Um, but without further ado, do you want to go ahead and talk about our guest today? Sure. Uh, so we're here today with Chris Matthews, CEO of an exciting young company called Computes. Many of us know Chris from his work with Octoblue, an incredible IoT platform he created, which was acquired by Citrix. Chris's new venture, Computes, is the world's first decentralized distributed mesh computing platform. So what the heck does that mean? Well, in layman's terms, for a simpleton like me, uh, the way I like to think of it is that you could create a peer-to-peer network inside your corporate network. Each machine is then a node on that network. Typically, most organizations have machines left on for either part of the day or all day long, which are just not in use. With this peer-to-peer network, you could detect and use those idle resources, essentially creating your own software-defined quantum supercomputer. Harnessing idle computes, be it CPU or GPU, in your environment toward any number of awesome things you want to accomplish, which is what we'll get into with Chris today and even more. So we're really excited to have Chris on today. Uh, So just to, to get the ball rolling, I guess just generally a lot of people may not be aware of computes. So could you just tell us how and why did you start computes, Chris? Hey, Jaren. Hey, Rory. How are you guys? Um, yeah, I, I've been thinking about this, uh, this computes idea for, for a while. And, and I, I think you did a great job uh, summarizing uh, what it is. At least that's, that was the initial concept. And, you know, the more I think about it, if, if you can do this, if you can harness all of this idle compute in an enterprise network, you could certainly harness idle computes all over the world. You know, you're talking from, from self-driving vehicles to edge computing to even home, home computers in, in your environment, where if everything with a CPU or a GPU or an XPU, think about like, you know, uh, TPUs, et cetera, could discover one another connect with one another, communicate with one another, compute with one another as this one world, global, worldwide supercomputer, if you will, 
we've got something very interesting here that, that uh, I think enables everything on the planet to compute together as if it's one machine. So the more I think about this, the more excited I get. You know, coming from the IoT space with Octoblue, you know, I, I remember most of the talks I would stand up and give, you know, all over the world, I would start with a slide that talked about, you know, like 50 billion IoT devices coming to market, you know, uh, next year. And um, the more I keep thinking about it, there is so much compute that we walk around with in our, in our pockets or just the, the smart devices in your homes or the, uh, even the machines that we're talking on now, they're technically in use, but I'd be willing to bet if you open the activity monitor, you're probably still sitting around 80 to 90% idle uh, CPU and GPU. So there's an excess, you know, computers are getting faster, more powerful. We're not typing any faster <laughs> you know, to harness all of that, that idle compute. So if we can just pull all of that, that excess computing capacity in this world together, we've got some, a very interesting platform that you can do some very interesting uh, new things uh, with. And you talk about like all the different devices, be it your phones, be it people's personal computers. Uh, computes is currently being used for medical research, I believe. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you could har harness these excess idle resources out there towards something good like medical research? Yeah, we've got a few um, uh, proof of concepts that are doing medical research, and I think it's an ideal platform for that. Um, we were approached by uh, the University of Wisconsin, uh, a, a brilliant professor there um, named Kerry uh, Roundtree. Um, said, hey, listen, I'm doing uh, Parkinson's disease research. She had written some algorithms. Uh, one is in Python, one is in R, um, but they're basically like neurological algorithms to detect early onset of Parkinson's disease. Sounded very interesting, and she said, here's my dilemma. She said, I don't have a budget for cloud computing. And I don't have you know, a budget to, to purchase uh, servers to do this computing. She said, however, I've got a dozen uh, computers in my lab that are mostly idle. She said, from reading your website, it sounds like that's exactly what computes uh, uh, does, is, is harnesses that idle compute for you know, a, a purpose. And um, we work with her three students that she has um, uh, uh, collaborating with her on the algorithms and uh, rolled out computes across all dozen machines. And today they're doing, I think, 10, they're analyzing 10,000 voice files a day looking for Parkinson's-related uh, attributes uh, in those, those people, you know, people that left those voicemail messages. And she can tell, you know, with a pretty, pretty good accuracy you know, there's a 30% there's a chance this person might encounter Parkinson's, you know, in the next five years. So, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to hear how she's using computes in, in their environment. And she's gone on record to say that, that she could not be doing her Parkinson's disease research without computes today. So, very flattering to see the success of that, of that, um, that uh, compute for, for University of Wisconsin. And she's gone on to, to tell me that uh, it's been so successful that they're, that they're adding cerebral palsy research to 
um, to their, their efforts and eventually Alzheimer's. Anything that's neurological uh, could apply to the algorithms that, that she's writing and running on top of computes. Well, that's, uh, that's really interesting and in, in, uh, see how the way they're doing that to help, you know, the research with the voice and then how they're going to expand to other areas. Um, outside of medical research, are you looking at any interest from like any vendors, you know, any, any actual healthcare vendors or organizations or any vendors at all in, in enterprise IT also, or, you know, tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, we, we recently had a launch to beta a version of, of computes. It went out to over 700. 150 uh, registered users. Um, amongst those, I mean, there's there's super large construction companies using it for various um, uh, like modeling, uh, compute modeling, or even some cybersecurity. You know, looking at uh, pattern matching on on all the network throughput. Um, there's there's a, a groups using it in the IOT, like, like a machine learning space, like watching a manufacturing company, watching a, a sensor data on the edge and being able to detect patterns and react, you know, to, to those patterns in real time, near real time uh, on the edge. There's some um, uh, automotive companies experimenting with computes from a, um, not only driverless vehicle perspectives, but vehicle to vehicle communications vehicle to smart city uh, transactions. Um, you know, as we get into the, some of the technology, we can talk about some of the really interesting parts of it, but even though it's decentralized, it does not use blockchain technology. We believe it's like the next generation after blockchain um, to come. And uh, what it allows the automotive company to do is experiment with interesting computing uh, capabilities like around micropayments like the car being able to be aware of the toll bridge and do a micropayment transaction, you know, to, to pass, you know, through the toll uh, uh, in, in synchronicity, you know, as, as the computers on both sides come within range. You know, you could do the same thing with like parking meters, parking structures, uh, even just vehicle to vehicle communications, letting other vehicles know where they're at on the same uh, roadway and the pace, you know, like, like more efficient convoy type technologies. So, oh my gosh, it, it, every time I hear about a use case, how, how someone's experimenting with the proof of concepts, uh, it, it, it literally gets more and more exciting the more we talk to people about how they're using it. Well, we're probably gonna be saying this quite a lot after your answers, but that's really fascinating too. And like, it's, it's very mind expanding for me and very insightful because Maybe my job is a little more routine and boring working in uh, enterprise IT for healthcare. You know, I'm just, I'm there keeping the systems up that are critical for the physicians and nurses, but are sometimes taken for granted. But, you know, in that vein, a common scenario in enterprise IT and even for cloud vendors is that they'll have a lot of idle VMs left power on the invent of a DO. A disaster recovery scenario. So like they'll have an active, active data center scenario with um, some idle resources in each just in case they need that flexibility or they'll possibly have an uh, active passive data center where they have a data center that's essentially sitting there with powered on VMs just not doing anything. Uh, could computes be used in some way to 
maybe purpose or repurpose these idle resources, but only when they are not required for disaster recovery. And if they are recovered then for disaster recovery, those resources are then made available in order to fail over to essentially. Absolutely. You know, um, we, we've talked with, uh, you know, uh, engineers at Citrix, you know, namely uh, James Bullpen around, could computes run like in a Zen server environment? You know, we've talked to um, Sean Bass at, at VMware, same conversations. And, and uh, the really interesting uh, uh, feedback we've heard from both of them is that uh, computes could run on active VMs very easily. So even your production VMs that are running, you know, all, all throughout your production data center, um, the, the number we keep hearing over and over again is that even a fully optimized production VM rack is still approximately 40% idle. So, you know, we had talked at the beginning of the show about just our laptops being 80 or 90% idle while we're using them. You know, fully optimized VM racks are typically about 40% idle. I would venture to say even more, um, but just use 40% idle as, as an example. Um, computes could... Um, uh, harness that idle 40% and squeeze more productivity out of a, a fully optimized production rack of VMs uh, to gain more compute just in an existing data center. Now you add the DR scenario that, that you mentioned right here. Yeah, I mean, it, it could tap, you know, you know 90, 100% of that idle CPU in a DR environment uh, to do things like you know, in the healthcare environment, it could be doing things like all of your actuary um, uh, 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 machine learning or, or, or analytics or big data uh, analytics against all of that actuarial data. Um, it could be doing things like looking through the, the, the claims that are, that are coming through your EDI systems, you know, analyzing uh, trend, you know, patient trends of, you know, for wellness uh, initiatives or you know, um, uh, you know, I, I think that that idle compute, if you, if you would add it up, you know, I, I, I was playing around with some numbers. Um, uh, if you just took like, say, 10,000 machines that were idle, um, that's equivalent to, to somewhere around $7 million to $8 million of, of EC2, Amazon EC2 costs. Like, if you could put computes on, say, 10,000 machines, like desktop-grade machines, you know, servers, you'd have even better, better throughput, but 10,000 desktop machines would be a, approximately uh, 10,000 EC2 larges, which is about 7 or $8 million a year in compute. All of that idle DR uh, could offset, you know, existing cloud costs or deliver additional computing capacity for things like, you know, the big data analytics or actuarial exercises. That, that, that's very interesting because um, you mentioned, you know, active VMs and, you know, or in active environments and using the, the leftovers, um, the leftover compute power to, to, to use that. Um, are you currently doing that today with any large scale environments or in, any customers where you're actually using the leftovers of their active environment? We are. We, we can't talk about, you know, so University of Wisconsin gave us a green light to, to use them as reference, but there's a number of other very large Fortune 500 companies that are uh, under like NDA proof of concept uh, exercises with computes and they, they are doing, they're having success in smaller proof of concepts that continue to 
expand uh, the reach across their organizations. You know, and the more we keep talking to how they're using it, we keep coming up with this other idea that some of these organizations are interested in going beyond their enterprise networks. So like um, we were talking with the National Parkinson's Foundation uh, a few months ago, and uh, they heard about what we were doing at University of Wisconsin with Parkinson's disease research, and they said, you know, we meet with, with uh, dozens of research firms that continuously tell us they don't have enough computing power to do the Parkinson's disease research that, that, that they're, they're, they're set out to accomplish. But at the same time, they've got um, a million Parkinson's patients in their database, and then they have friends, they have families. They were asking us, could we create kind of a global uh, or nationwide, start with a nationwide and then go global, Parkinson's disease supercomputer, if you will, that's running on everyone's home machines, but also maybe companies that might want to donate some of their excess computing power to, you know, to Parkinson's disease research, for instance. So I, what I'm excited about is I think we're, we're, we're having such good success with smaller proof of concepts that the ideas are expanding beyond, you know, even beyond just the enterprise networks at, at on hand. So you've touched on like a lot of different areas, like, you know, micropayments, uh, automated vehicles, you mentioned IOT. So along with those with maybe artificial intelligence, VR, machine learning, um, there's a lot of different growth areas right now. I think you even mentioned edge computing a little earlier too, and they all require copious amounts of GPU and CPU. Is there any one certain particular vertical that you guys intend to work against initially? Are you just, you know, opening this up to the world because it, it does sound like it really benefits any, anyone from uh, enterprise IT customers, vendors, um, researchers, but is there any one, one in particular that you guys plan to focus on initially or no? You know, that, that's an excellent question, and, and I struggle with that one frequently. You know, we're constantly being told we need to pick a beachhead. You know, we need to pick a niche and, and be the best at it. And the more I keep talking with, you know, these, these you know, 750 developers that are, that are beta testing computes today, their ideas are across the board, and they're brilliant. And it would be a shame, in my opinion, to limit this to a particular vertical or a particular niche because um, it's, it, it, in my mind, it is a platform. And I know from the Octoblue days, selling platforms are difficult. However, I, I really have a hard time saying no to all of this amazing uh, capabilities that people are building, you know, on, on the platform. You know, I think IoT is a hot spot. You know, I think uh, IoT companies are understanding that IOT needs to run on the edge that, you know, running IOT in the cloud just does not work. And, you know, companies like, like Amazon, you know, uh, is, is, you know, has created like some edge technologies like Greengrass, Azure's created, you know, Azure on the edge. They're, they're trying to create tiny data centers, if you will, on edge networks to manage IOT, uh, communications, machine learning, you know, all, all of the, the processing of IoT uh, messages. And in my opinion, that still does not scale. That, that, that's, if, if, 
if we can solve this by just allowing everything to compute together without actually adding any infrastructure uh, where this is going, I th think we're creating a whole new breed of computing technology, a next generation computer, if you will, that, that leverages edge computing where necessary and then cloud computing where, where that's, that's necessary as well. And let me give you a scenario. We were talking with a, um, there's a company doing computer vision uh, with, with computes today. And I think they were saying that, that each camera needed like eight processors on the camera to do real-time machine learning of video feeds. And they're doing things like, I don't know if it's a military application or what, but they're doing things like detecting, are there people in the frame? If so, do they have weapons? Are they doing any interesting like posture positions like squatting or running or, or hiding or, or what have you? And they were, they were explaining that uh, with computes, they're allowed to distribute all of that machine learning across all of their idle cameras in addition to their, their cameras with active video, you know, with frames changing, video frames changing, which is allowing them to get to maybe dual CPUs instead of octo CPUs on, on each camera. But then the more we talk about what they're trying to accomplish, it's like we can move the right compute to the right machine at the right time, which is something I, I'm not aware of anyone else being able to do. And what I mean by that is they're doing like, like having one camera do, do detection of people or the people in the frame. Another camera, you know, that's idle, detecting are there weapons in the frame. Another camera detecting posture of, of people in the frame. And then if they get to the point where they've identified true, true, and true, then they can start engaging cloud compute to start streaming that video to the cloud to do more, more powerful things like, like facial recognition. Do you recognize the people in this frame? You know, where the data is. And I think that's really the key is, is you know, even with the AI and, and machine learning scenarios you know, today, everyone's trying to move large data sets to the cloud for compute. And in my opinion, that's broken. That, that does not work for, for uh, uh, AI going forward. Nor, you know, and we're learning that didn't work for IoT either going forward. So if you can move compute to the data, you've got a very interesting scenario where you're moving the right compute to the right machine at the right time. And in that, that computer vision scenario, the facial recognition data happens to be in the cloud. So that's an ideal use case for moving that facial compute recognition compute to the cloud, but keeping all of the real-time uh, uh, machine learning computations about people, weapons, uh, positions, posturing, you know, locally in real time, you know, you, you eliminate the latency and you're leveraging all of that idle compute on the edge. It's really the best of, of both worlds, in my opinion. And it's, it's, it's too difficult to focus on a niche when you hear these use cases. So there were some, uh, some tweets you had about uh, decentralized notepad and then also, you know, just decentralized apps in general. Can you talk a little about that a little more? And then also too, do you see this fitting in any type of scenario like EUC or anything like that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, you don't really know how people are going to use your platform until you start uh, asking questions. And that was the, one of the biggest aha moments we had. You know, in the beginning of computes, 
the idea was exactly as you described. It was harnessing enterprise, you know, idle enterprise, you know, uh, CPU and GPU for things like AI and IoT in, in large organizations. But probably 80% of the developers we've spoken to that are, that are uh, in the beta program of computes are actually building decentralized applications on top of the platform. They're, they're, they're even referring to computes as a decentralized operating system. What they're saying is that we basically have all of the components of a, of a normal operating system, but in, in, a, in, a, in a fashion that allows allows you to run as a decentralized application. So if you think of like the file system, it's all peer-to-peer -peer decentralized and distributed. Our computes decentralized and distributed. We even have like, um, uh, you know, networks. We can do private and public mesh networks at will. Um, even this concept of RAM, you know, being able to identify pointers and, and pull in data across all of these peers. So as an experiment, I wrote a, um, a very simple kind of decentralized notepad called files, P-H-I-L-E-S, uh, files.com. And uh, it's kind of a, the name is kind of a, 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 a tribute to the old BBS hacker days. That's, that's what the hackers called files. They're almost sharing peer-to-peer, P-H-I-L-E-S, like, like, like phone freaking. But um, what's interesting about that is that you don't need internet. Uh, you just need to open your browser. You get you just uh, access the files app, which could be you know just saved locally, and it all uses this uh, this this peer to peer uh, file access. All all of the, the the components of computes to let you just start writing you know writing notes and sharing notes you know with colleagues or friends in kind of a peer to peer fashion. I guess kind of like um, Google Docs does, where you can you know, see which, where each other's cursors are and collaborate on a doc, you save it, you end up with this hash. That hash is a representation of the file that you just created, and that file can be shared peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, globally. Um, when we talk to uh, uh, companies, there, there was one in particular I'd like to, to mention. Um, uh, the founder uh, of Last.fm, uh, Thomas, um, he had approached us. He's building a, a new company um, that's basically Shazam. It's called Snapstream. It's basically Shazam for video. Think about that for a little while. Shazam. If you're, if people use Shazam, I use it all the time. You can listen to like a song playing overhead, and it'll tell you, you know, the the artist and you know where you can you know you can buy it on iTunes, etc., uh, and the name of the song, etc. He's trying to build Snapstream in such a way where they need so much computing power to identify you know, every frame or every dozen frames in every movie, every TV show, where you can just hold your phone up to the TV and it's going to do the same thing Shazam does for audio, but look for fingerprinting in movies. So he needs tons of computing capacity. And... Uh, uh, they're they're building their their Snapstream platform uh, on top of computes, essentially because it's the most efficient decentralized computing platform in the world. Um, I'd mentioned earlier that we don't use blockchain, and that's why. So we don't have the overhead that blockchain decentralized apps have, like you know the slow throughput. I think Ethereum's somewhere around like you know 18 transactions a second, whereas we're around you know over a thousand. 
we're, we're trying to get to millions of transactions per second. Um, we don't have the wasted proof of work, like all of the mining associated with a, a normal like blockchain type of application. Um, and, and, uh, and, and every node on the computes network does not need to maintain a ledger, if you will. So you don't have all of the storage uh, demand of every device. Very small devices like mobile phones, you know, or, or even IoT devices can run and participate in the computes network since it's not uh, blockchain based. So it sounds like there's a lot of cool uses already um, harnessing computes like the Parkinson's research, which is really admirable. Um, like your buddy there who's building this Shazam, which sounds like it's going to use a, a lot of resources for machine learning of identifying uh, video and reprocessing or rendering those images, detecting what it is, and then telling the user what it is. Uh, these are all really exciting prospects. And you mentioned earlier that there's a, there, there's a public beta. Can you tell us a little bit more about the public beta and what the initial users are going to be for that? And also, can people sign up for that today? Yep, the, the public beta is still open. As I mentioned, we've got over 750 uh, registered developers that have already received license keys that are building interesting things on computes. Uh, the beta is still open, so you can go to computes.com and just uh, put in your email address. You get in a queue. And uh, it seems like every week or so, we, we release more license keys to, to, to other individuals. And really, the purpose at this point is looking for feedback. Um, uh, looking for uh, references, looking for use cases, really to get to understand how how developers are, are leveraging our our, our technology because we're fascinated uh, by the various use cases and 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 calling it a beta might be a little unfair because the the feedback we're hearing is that we sh we are the the platform is ready for version one. We're hearing that it's stable and that it's scalable. Um, we've, we've, we've heard of enterprises that have hundreds of nodes, you know, already up and running. So, um, you know, we, we keep, we're interested in, in finding that next beta that's got thousands of nodes, tens of thousands of nodes, uh, um, and even public use cases like, you know, we've been focused on enterprise, you know, private networks, you know, since the beginning, we've just recently added, um, uh, consensus. Uh, algorithms to the platform so that it could be used as a public uh, supercomputing platform as well. So we're very interested in, in you know, very different use cases and would love uh, uh, to, to bring more developers uh, into this, this uh, beta phase. And maybe not applicable to the beta right now, but say in, in the future, so there's so many different uses for this and obviously Parkinson's research and that sort of uh, venture would be uh, very admirable. And you talked a little bit about how organizations may be able to uh, donate some of their idle resources to a cause that they believe in. For the general public, uh, do you believe maybe in the future that people will be able to put their devices or their resources as a node on this network and specifically say, I want my resources to go towards 
Parkinson's researcher, hey, this development project sounds really cool. I want to support it by allowing them my resources. Absolutely. So the, like the National Parkinson's Foundation uh, public supercomputer, Parkinson's supercomputer I talked about earlier, they would love for you know the general public to participate. So anyone, I, I think most of us know someone in our family that, that has suffered from Parkinson's disease. So it is a, a, a widespread uh, uh, disease that I think it touches all of us. Um, and, you know, as, as we find opportunities, you know, for cancer research or, or, you know, Alzheimer's research, et cetera, that's what I'm envisioning. I'm envisioning, I'm envisioning this idea where you could uh, download computes. It runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. It runs on x86 and ARM, even PowerPC architectures. I envision you being able to, like, open up the, an app that in check off, like, all of the, the, um, the campaigns that you would like to participate in and then longer range i'm thinking it might be interesting to introduce uh, uh either a token or a micropayment capability uh into this where computes could truly act like uber for computing or airbnb for computing where if you instead of donating your machine you might actually be able to earn uh, compensation for for allowing your for donating your idle compute cycles to you know e maybe even healthcare organizations that want to do you know uh, commercial computations you know in the public versus you know paying for like cloud computing services. That, that, that's very interesting, and another way to you know to be able to to push the project forward too is you know the people. You know, sell the resources into it. If people want to be able to buy those extra resources on the network as well. Um, you know, outside of you know everything you're doing with computes, is there anything else you're excited about? You know, you're you're a very um, excitable person to listen to. Is just listening to you and talking to you, I get excited. So mm -hmm. I'm very interested. You know, to know what else you're excited about. You know, what, what other things you you got what you're working on. Well, I, I think there's one more kind of. Uh... Uh, aspect kind of accidental. Well, there's a couple of accidental features that computes offers that, that uh, are just kind of by design um, that, that excite me. Uh, one is that being decentralized, it's unstoppable. <laughs> like, like there's no way to actually stop computes from running. As long as you have one node, you know, somewhere in the network that's running, the, the queuing technology we call Lattice, it, it knows how to find any other nodes that come on and share all of the compute in the queues that need work. So there's no actual, even if you shut every node down, all it takes is one of those nodes to come back alive and then the queues come back alive. So there's no way to actually stop it. So I think I think for once we truly have a fault tolerant worldwide computing platform that you know as as we talked about there's there's a million use cases for that you know global compute you know kind of like vehicles there's too many vehicles in the world they're all sitting in, in parking spots you know like uber has has discovered or airbnb has discovered with real estate uh computes is trying to unlock that with all of this this you know this overpopulation of computing technologies, which I think is fascinating. The other thing that I'm really excited about 
it's kind of an accident of looking at how it's designed, um, is this whole idea around ambient computing or proximity computing. I've written a couple of blog posts about this, but as computers, as like your cell phone in your pocket if it's running computes and your desktop's running computes and your office computer's running computes and servers in the data centers are running computes, as you potentially enter a room, it's, it's very easy to think that all of these, these uh, compute nodes, know they, they know their proximity to each other. I mean, it, whether they're on the same subnet you know, of, of an IP address range, or if they've got Bluetooth radios to identify proximity of, of, of each other, as you walk into a space, I can't help but, but imagine how cool this could be that all of the computing capabilities within that space all join in together to help you solve something you're trying to accomplish or, 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 or bringing more AI, ML, compute in real time to, to accomplish your, your needs as, as you're, you're, you're entering a space. And I can't help but think that that ties into, you know, the future of workspace computing, the future of enterprise computing, the future of how we uh, work all day long together. And especially think about the three of us walking into a space together like a conference room, having our machines know the proximity to each other and even work together even without internet access. Us being able to do things like that decentralized notepad or running decentralized apps with anyone in the proximity of each other where we're, our machines are connecting, communicating, and computing together as if they're, they're uh, cores within a, a single machine. That sounds awesome. That'd be really, really cool. Um, I, I know you're hardcore about Indian motorcycles. I see you uh, tweeting about it and posting pictures on social media. Have you thought about somehow to apply your, your tech talents, your tech expertise towards motorcycles? It sounds like there's probably some room in there. You're covering so much with the technology you're already developing. Is there any room towards uh, putting some of this towards motorcycles? You would think that that would be a, a true answer I would be excited about, but it's quite the, the opposite. Um, I, I've gotten into these old Indian motorcycles. I have over a dozen, like, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100-year-old uh, Indian motorcycles. And um, what, what amazes me about them is that, you know, like, like you guys, all day long, I work in this, in ones and zeros. I work in, in building things that are invisible, <laughs> that, that, that are not tangible. You know, they're, they're, they run like, the, like this compute that runs everywhere. You can't see it, can't control it, you can't stop it. The, the thing I find fascinating about, about Indian motorcycles, or, you know, all, all old motorcycles is that, um, you can actually touch them, get your hands greasy and dirty. They're primitive. Uh, in fact, they'll be the only things that survive the EMPs that are coming in our, in our future uh, uh, next World War III. But um, when, when, I, when I look at these motors, like I'm looking at this one that's 104 years old. I have a 1913 uh, Indian. They called it a big twin, uh, a 1,000cc motorcycle from 100 years ago. 
And I look at it, and the technology was so far ahead of its time. I mean, we're still building B-twin motorcycles today. It's just fascinating to, to see the raw mechanics of how these old motorcycles work, the history of all of the racing you know, and competitive rivalry between Harley-Davidson and, and Indian motorcycles, you know, racing each other every year, always you know, doing these, these minor improvements. That's all... For me, it's an escape. For me, it's it's a uh, it's an opportunity to get my hands dirty, to to build something that I can touch, that I can ride, that I can experience, that I can point at. Um, so for me, it's it's probably the only disconnect I have from this high tech world of of uh, you know technology. That, that's funny you mentioned that that was your escape because as, as soon as you said, you know, you might think, you know, be surprised at this answer. I was like, I bet motorcycles are his escape from technology. Something that gets him to where it's, there's no computers. There's something that he can work with. He, he can, you know, it's, it's something that he shows innovation over time, but still something towards primitive or it's nothing connected or nothing on, on the computer side. So. You know, I, so, someone, exactly. Someone told me this uh, a long time ago and I've never forgotten it. Um, they said, you know, a, a fulfilled life is like a bar stool. It has three legs. You've got one leg, obviously, is your, your career. You've got to be passionate and enjoy what you do in your, in your career because you're doing it so many hours, you know, in, in a work week and, you know, you're getting paid for it. Secondly, you need, you know, a, a, a strong family life. That's your second leg. You've got to have a good family life. Where, where, you know, that's why you work. You know, you're, you're providing for your family. And thirdly, I don't think your life is complete without this third leg of the bar stool. And it's that escape. It's, it's find a passion that's different from your family life and your, your career that, that you can escape and, and unplug and uh, hide from the world and, and uh, relax and grow from, from uh, you know, uh, something that's truly like a hobby uh, that, that you can get away, get away from the world and recharge. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with that. You, you got to have something like that in, in your life. Otherwise, you're, you're going to, you know, be burning the candle at both ends and, and burn yourself out on one thing. So you, you got to find that, that thing to escape the, there to kind of, you know, let you kind of break a step away, refresh, come back with a different perspective type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I, I could use, I could definitely use an escape myself, but I've got a two-year-old at home. I think if I, show, if I showed up uh, <laughs> an Indian motorcycle, my wife would kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember when our kids were much younger, uh, at two, we, we went to this, this parent help class that uh, they were, it was supposed to help, you know, uh, parenting skills, you know, for new parents and, I remember we walked in and, and uh, the, the person in the front of the audience, they said they had us raise our hands, like asking how old our kids were. And then they finally got to the two-year-olds and they said that there's nothing we can help you with. If, if you come to get parenting skills for two-year-olds, please get up and leave now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the, the only advice I can give you on that one, Rory, is uh, me having, I have a four-year-old and, and a six-year-old, but uh, trying to keep my four-year-old busy and occupied too it's fine something you guys can do together <laughs> yeah <laughs> to kind of get your break away. that's the only advice i can give you on that so one no motorcycle 
Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you uh, for Chris for coming on. Um, really, some good insight and info into, into computes. Um, you know, if people want to go ahead and sign up for the beta, they can go out to computes.io. Um, you you can follow computes on Twitter and also Chris on Twitter as well. Um, you know, thank you to Rory um, for being our guest host today, and, and make sure you check out his Five Bytes podcast at uh, FiveBytesPodcast.com. Correct, Rory? That's correct. And um, we look forward to, you know, talking to you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Frontline Cheddar podcast. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.